Good morning, and welcome to the Revelation Power Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Hopkins, and today we're in John chapter 13, the start of uh, the walk toward the cross, the serious last couple of days of Jesus' life. And there's an event that happens that we have, we've really formalized it into an action that some people practice and some people don't. And the story isn't really about the action at all, but the motivation behind it. So we'll go to John chapter 13, and we'll start in verse 1. And your Bible probably has a subcaption that says something about Jesus washes the disciples' feet. John 13, 1. Jesus knew that the night before Passover would be his last night on earth, before leaving this world to return to the side of the Father. All throughout his time with his disciples, Jesus had demonstrated a deep and tender love for them, and now he longed to show them the full measure of his love. Before their evening meal had begun, the accuser had already deeply embedded betrayal into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now Jesus was fully aware that the Father had placed all things under his control, for he had come from God and was about to go back to be with him. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer garments, and took a towel and wrapped it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' dirty feet and dry them with his towel. But when Jesus got to Simon Peter, he objected and said, I can't let you wash my dirty feet. You're my Lord. You're my rabbi. Jesus replied, You don't understand yet the meaning of what I'm doing, but soon it will become clear to you. Peter looked at Jesus and said, You'll never wash my dirty feet, ever. Jesus responded, But Peter, if you don't allow me to wash your feet, then you will not be able to share life with me. Peter thought for a moment and then said, Lord, in that case, don't just wash my feet, wash my hands and my head too. Jesus said to him, Peter, you're already clean. You've been washed completely. It is only your dirty feet that need to be cleansed. But that can't be said of all of you. For Jesus knew which one was about to betray him, and that's why he told them that not all of them were clean. After washing their feet, he put his robe on and returned to his place at the table. Do you understand what I just did? Jesus asked. You've called me your rabbi and your Lord, and you're right, that's who I am. So if I'm your rabbi and Lord and have just washed your dirty feet, then you should follow that example that I've set for you and wash each other's dirty feet. Now do this for each other, what I've just done for you. I speak to you timeless truth. Listen, this is what he says. I speak to you timeless truth. A servant is not superior to his master, and an apostle is never greater than the one who sent him. So now, put into practice what I have done for you, and you will experience a life of happiness enriched with untold blessings. It's an interesting story that we know probably too well, because we formulated it to the point that we make it say one thing, 
and it says many things. When the disciples came into the room, there should have been a servant who washed their feet. There should have been someone at the door who washed the feet of those coming in from outside. Apparently there was not because the Bible clearly says they still had dirty feet. Jesus is washing their dirty feet. He's not re-washing the feet that had been washed when they came in the room. There either wasn't a servant provided or he wasn't there. Whatever the case, they didn't get their foot washing when they came in and kicked their sandals off at the door and came to sit around the table. So you can imagine a bunch of men's bare feet around a table where you're going to eat a meal. Rather unappetizing. Jesus uses this moment to teach them one of the greatest stories of love he ever teaches. That's what it says, right? Having loved them up to this moment, he longed to show them the full measure of his love. The NIV says he loved them to the very end. He loved them to the fullest extent. Jesus wants to teach them one last great lesson about love. And so he takes off his robe, so he's shirtless, and he wraps a towel around his waist, and it's a long piece of cloth. It's not just a hand towel. It's like two bath sheets. It's a big piece of, of linen that he's wrapped around himself. He ties that around his waist and he starts washing their feet and drying them with the towel that he's wrapped around his waist. And, and all goes well until he gets to Simon Peter, who is probably sitting on his right hand. So he's, he's past John already and now he's at Peter. Or, or he's come to Peter and John will be the next one who's at his right hand. We're not quite sure, but we believe that Peter is the person at his right hand. And so he gets to Peter and Peter says, wait a minute, you're going to wash my feet? And, and Jesus says, yes, yes, Peter, I'm going to wash your feet. Peter says, are you kidding me? You are my rabbi. You're my Lord. I've already said that I believe you are the Lord of all. And it's not right that the Messiah should wash my feet. He doesn't understand the Messiah. Just like the people in the last chapter said, wait a minute, we've always been told that the Messiah would live forever. How can you be raised up now? How can the Messiah die? How can God die? If God dies, all of creation will die. It's what the Gnostics thought. Jesus clarifies. He says, nope, what you've been taught about the Messiah is wrong. I've come to be your light. I've come to be your way to eternal life. Peter, I have to wash your feet. I have to cleanse you or you can't get into my kingdom. I know it doesn't make sense right now, but in a very little bit of time, it's going to make perfect sense to you. If I don't wash you of your faults, you can't walk where I'm going to walk. Peter doesn't get it. Who's, 
Who's Jesus speaking to? The betrayer. Everybody looks for a single betrayer in that room, but there are two. One is going to be taken by the devil. The other is going to be taken by his own selfish desire to protect his own rear end. There are two betrayers sitting there, and Jesus is about to wash the feet of the one who doesn't betray him just once, but betrays him three times. He is going to stomp his feet in the mud so deep, he'll almost get stuck in it. Peter, if I don't wash you, you can't come with me. It's going to get worse than this, and you don't understand that yet. There'll be a very short time, and you'll understand perfectly what I'm saying, but if I don't wash you, you can't come. Okay, Lord, then not just my feet, but my hands and my head, too. Jesus says, no, Peter. A person who's taken a bath doesn't need to be bathed again. The only thing that needs to be bathed is the part that's dirty. The only part that needs to be cleansed is the part that's dirty. He's talking about salvation. The part that has walked in this world. The part that has been sullied by this world. The part that isn't true to the created nature of the being is the part that needs to be cleansed. It's not really our feet, it's our hearts. But but where's your heart? I can point at my head and say, this heart? The heart that makes decisions? Yes. Point at my chest. This heart? The heart that pumps my blood? Probably not so much. Point at my feet. This heart? The heart that determines where I walk and the direction that I take? Yes. My head and my feet are more the heart that Jesus is talking about than the one that pumps my blood. Unless I wash your feet, unless your path is clean, you can't come with me. Peter doesn't get it. Jesus said, you just need your feet washed. Peter, you just need your feet washed, but that can't be said of everyone in this room. It's like someone here needs more. And John says he gets it now. After the fact, he understands Jesus knew which one in the room was about to betray him, but it's not just one, it's two. That's why he told them that not all of them were clean. John is guilty of the Johannine misunderstanding himself. There's two betrayers in there, not just one. But one needs only his way cleansed. And the other is in dire trouble. He puts his robe back on, returns to his seat and says, Do you understand what I just did for you? You've called me your rabbi and your Lord. And you're right, that's who I am. So if I'm your rabbi and Lord and have just washed your dirty feet, then you should follow my example and wash one another's dirty feet. Do for each other what I've just done for you. I speak to you timeless truth. A servant is not above his master and an apostle is never higher than the one who sent him. Put into practice what I've just done for you. 
and you will experience a life of happiness enriched with untold blessings. Well, look a little deeper. What did Jesus just do for them? What, what did John say was the purpose of this action? He'd loved them all along, and now he longed to show them the full extent of his love. And so he washed their feet. He's showing them that he's going to forgive them. He's going to offer them absolute grace, absolute forgiveness. And then he says, you want the perfect life? You want a life filled with blessing and fulfillment? Do the same for each other. Wash the dirt off your friends. Don't point at his feet and say, whew, look how dirty and stinky your feet are. Why don't you trim your toenails? Why don't you use some lotion? Where did you get those funky shaped feet? Why don't you go have surgery? All the stuff I hear about feet all the time in our culture. Jesus says, no, forgive the faults. Wash the feet. Extend the grace. Extend the mercy. And extend it constantly to each other. I wish Christians understood this message. I wish we got that it wasn't about once a year having a foot washing ceremony at our church. But it's about every single Sunday. Forgiving and extending grace and granting peace to a person who doesn't deserve it, who won't grant it back. None of them washed Jesus' feet. He washed theirs. I can't tell you the number of times I've stood in the entryway of a church with some well-meaning dragon standing next to me. And somebody's walked through the door of that church and that person standing next to me, after the person who's entering the church shakes my hand and says good morning and walks past, this person next to me decides it's time to fill me in on everything wrong that person's ever done. Well, you know what she did. Off he goes. Oh, preacher, you know who that is. That's old Vern. You know what Vern did a few years ago. And I get the whole spiel about how bad that person is and what they've done wrong and where they've been and how they've failed and how they've sinned and oh, that's the town drunk and oh, she's the town floozy and oh, that's so-and-so's daughter who was raised in this kind of way and who's crazy and, and believes wrong. Packing the dirt onto their feet as they walk into the church. Instead of spiritually granting them grace and cleansing the moment they walk in and saying, there's a person with clean feet. Their feet found their way to this place and to this door and into this church on this Sunday. God's going to do something in that person's life today. I've never seen them here before, but they're here today. Praise God. I stood by the door of a church one day. I was just the music minister. I wasn't even the pastor. 
And this guy came through the door who'd been the town drunk. I mean, he was our version of Otis the drunk. He drank constantly. If you saw him at a ball game, his breath was pure alcohol. Wherever you saw him, if you saw him in his own business and he came out to to help you, to work with you as a part of his business, you could smell the alcohol on him as soon as he walked up. There was never a time he wasn't mostly lit. And, And he came to church that morning and praise the Lord for a church full of people who understood that God was about to do something because Danny never came to church. His wife came all the time. She was Christian and saintly and godly and gracious, but she was married to this drunk bum. And he, and he came through the door, and, and I remember people saying, there's Danny. Danny's in church. But nobody said, well, you know who he is. He's the town drunk. I guess because nobody had to, we all knew. But everybody started to say, Danny's here. Boy, I wonder what the pastor's going to preach today. Danny's here. We came into the platform. We prayed for the pastor, got up on the platform as people were gathering. I got the music started and I heard people go up to the pastor and say, did you see Danny's here? And of course the pastor saw. Of course the pastor was aware. Now he's really aware. And and I'm aware of everything we sang, of everything that was said. It's like a church of 400 people, but there's this one guy here who we never dreamed would darken the door of the church. And there he sits, clear-eyed and looking sober, in a suit with his hair combed and his beard shaved. I mean, I'd never seen him look so good. And we took the offering and we gave the announcements and we did the church thing and we sang a final song before we prayed and then it was the pastor's turn to get up. And and I expected him, well, I half expected him to, to preach something that was pointed at Danny. I mean, you never, you may never get this chance again, never have before. You get to preach for Danny today. Come on, preacher. Aim it at him and pull the trigger. He didn't. He did not. He was preaching his way through the Bible, and he just went to the verse that followed the one he preached the week before. And it was about mercy. It was a verse about mercy. It was about the goodness of God. It was, if I remember correctly, it was from the Gospel of John. It was from John chapter 17. Lord, my prayer is not for these alone, but for all who will come to believe as a result of their testimony that they all might be one. And the pastor challenged the church to be a place where everybody was of one heart. In, in effect, where everybody was a foot washer, though he didn't say that, but I will today. That's what he was saying. This should be a place that no matter who comes in the door, they find us of one heart. And that heart is to share the goodness of God and his redemption and his love with this world. They should find Christ not because they came through our door, 
but because they know us. And I'm sitting on the platform soaking this up and thinking, whoa, that is so good. And I look up and I look right at Danny and that poor guy is sobbing in his chair. Because he would tell us later, he didn't believe such a place existed. He didn't believe there were any people on the face of the earth who would love him. He always believed his wife loved him, but he thought she was the only one. He was convinced that when she died, she'd go to heaven, but he didn't know that anybody else would. I guess he thought his wife was going to be the only one in heaven. And there he sat, sobbing. And I saw the pastor look at him a few times. And I saw the pastor consider whether to stop. But he had a little bit more to say. And he kept going. And the more he said about the love and the grace of Jesus Christ, the more it melted Danny's heart. Until at the end of the message, he had a hold of the back of the chair in front of him and his head was on his forearms and he was just weeping, sobbing. And the pastor said, if you came today and this is the God you'd like to know, could I pray with you? He didn't even get to give the full earnest off altar call. Danny was up out of his chair, pushing his way past everybody that was between he and the aisle and he was headed for the preacher. He didn't know where he was supposed to kneel or how this whole thing went. He just grabbed the pastor, nearly knocked him off his feet. He just grabbed him and said, yes, please pray for me. Please, pastor, I want that. And and the pastor led him over to the altar and they knelt and they prayed. And people marveled that this guy that we we really never thought would get saved. We really never thought would come to Jesus. We really never thought would darken the door. Probably the hardest guy in the whole town to reach is what we thought of him. And here he was, crying out to Jesus. Other people came to that altar that day, but none of them were the people you would expect. It was the strong men. It was the hard men. It was the rough men. It was the men who'd held out. Lots of them came to church every Sunday, but they'd never let God break through into their hearts. And when they saw Danny crack, it cracked them. And a whole bunch of dirty feet got washed that day. And everybody else learned. It's in washing feet that we truly show the love of God to our world. It's in not judging. It's in encouraging and exhorting and believing in other people. It's in extending them mercy and absolute grace when they least deserve it. Otherwise, it's not really grace. It's about showing them the ultimate love of Jesus Christ and becoming their servant. That true transformation takes place in in people, in communities, in churches, 
in organizations? It's when we serve each other out of love. The transformation is made possible even for the betrayers. One of the betrayers is going to walk out into the night and never come back. And the other betrayer is going to do three times as bad. But he'll find his way back to the one who washes feet. Can I encourage you today to go out into your world and wash the feet of the people you meet tomorrow in the marketplace, Sunday in your church, Monday at your workplace. Forgive their faults. Make up their lack. Stand in the gap for them. Show them that with you, they're clean. And believe. See them as clean. Believe they'll be clean. And let God bring them to the place that they are clean. Then you will live a life of blessing and fulfillment.